When I was 21, I ended up getting arrested on drug charges. You do everything that you're told to do, no matter what, and you have no freedom. You can either do those in a right way or you can do those in a very wrong way. It gave me some form of self-love in a place that is full of just absolute negativity. Spent four years inside a prison. I've come a fucking long way. If you're the guy that trains, you get up early, you stick to as much routine as you possibly can that's in your control. You went from being a victim to a hero, essentially being a beacon of light for the people around you. I remember times when I had like groups and it brought you that same energy, like everyone's doing this really well. I just feel like you have given something back. Can the neighbors think I'm selling dope, selling dope, selling dope, selling dope, selling dope. Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of She's Taking Over. We have a very exciting guest today, Coach Nick Ockram. For anybody and everybody who's listening to this, you probably know that Nick is my coach. Nick, hello. I hope so. How are you? Hi guys. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. Um, I'm really excited about this episode. I'm actually so pumped to have you on and to to talk a little bit more about um, the side of you that I've gotten to know in working with you and obviously working for you and, and, and bringing, bringing your brand and your vision to life and, and, and all the rest. But um, alongside our time together, there's this whole other side of you that I just feel has, the world starts to see it now. You know, you've got a lot more personality coming through in your content um, yeah. and your journey, but a very, very interesting backstory. So maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. I think a lot of the trainers who listen to who are listening to this would see quite a successful business, booked out face-to-face online coach, um, online clients, face-to-face coach. Where did it where did it all begin? Let's go back to the beginning. Right. So um, I guess back to the beginning. Um, well, um, I probably grew up a pretty kind of like overweight, and I'd say unfortunate kid in that sense. Um, I had uh, a thyroid issue that I was diagnosed uh, at an early age um, and kind of grew up um, – a little bit unaware of all of that um, and kind of grew up overweight. My mum actually um, passed away from sudden aneurysm when I was five. Um, so I think that really impacted me a lot with um, kind of lacking a fair bit of direction when I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, as I got older, I did get into the into the gym and all of that, um, which obviously has a lot to do with like why I'm a PT now. But um, I guess... Uh, look, life for me growing up was very, I guess, different, a bit indifferent to a lot of people. Um, I think losing my mum at a young age really impacted me, made me feel quite different as a kid um, to a lot of the kids around me. Um, I was really struggled, I guess, to fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also being overweight didn't help that. So I was often quite bullied. Mm-hmm. Um, and home life, I guess, wasn't great. I had a dad. Um, obviously, was I had three siblings, so quite a busy household. And we kind of grew up, I guess, really quick, really a lot quicker than most mm-hmm. um, and had to take on a lot of responsibilities um, as kids. Um, and then I guess as I got into my early, like, adolescent years, um, I started to kind of steer down the wrong path, really. Yeah. Um, and that kind of wound me up in trouble pretty quickly, just hanging around with the wrong circles. Um, and when I was 21, I ended up getting arrested on drug charges. Yeah. What was it? Like 33 counts of drug trafficking or something? Um, 
So not quite. I guess um, it's all pretty complicated when it first happens. Um, so I was really, I guess, quite unaware and um, to like a, a like a large sense of of what I was doing and quite the scale of it. Like I guess for me back then, and like for most guys and girls, I guess that get involved in that world is it, it's I guess like kind of cool and you feel like you have friends. You feel like you have like a big circle. Um, but in reality, it's a lot serious, more serious than what you think. And I guess what I got done and I was charged with, I think 15 of the charges out of 33 counts, 15 of those charges all had like minimum non-parole periods of 15 years. Um, and some of them carried a maximum sentence of life in jail. Now, when you, when you first kind of that, that first happens, you don't really know much about how all that works and like how things run concurrently or consecutively and stuff like that. So I guess when it first happens, you're just kind of really just scared shitless of the ramifications of it and like no one's really there to tell you what you're doing and like how serious it is. Mm -hmm. So I mean, yeah, like the first instance when you're kind of sitting there like shocked, like beyond all belief that you're in a jail cell, which like I'd never been in. And they've got pieces of paper, basically, I was charged with everything from large commercial supply to ongoing supply to deemed supply to drug possession. And um, doing the math of it all, if you add it all up, it was like, like, you think firstly, like, wow, this is, you know, like over, you know, like 100 years in prison or something. I'm like, surely that can't be the case. Like, yeah. that doesn't happen in Australia. It doesn't happen in, in most countries. So It's where your mind takes you, though. But yeah, I mean, think like... You see, or you know, when you obviously like being in that world, you and like a lot of people, you watch all the shows growing up, all the underbellies, all like the you know, the crime shows, and you think like, oh wow, like people do get life in jail for that kind of thing, and you kind of like you're alone, so you're not really sure how it all works, and straight away your mind's obviously traveling to the worst possible places, mm -hmm. and that's that you're in an absolute serious amount of fucking trouble. Yeah, um, and it's not until later down the track where you kind of start to work out how the whole system works. Yeah. And kind of where you're sitting and, and how much time you're actually possibly looking at. That's crazy. I actually can't imagine that. I think like everybody to some degree breaks rules or, or whatever it may be, but you don't realise the the severity and the weight of it. And I think to be caught, I can't imagine what that would have felt like, but to be sitting there in some room in a cell essentially thinking, I have no idea what the rest of my life is going to be like. I can't imagine what that felt like for you. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing, like, if I can remember thinking about it, is just such a huge loss of control. Like, you are now, like, everybody has day-to-day -day things, that, you know, you, you, you can and can't control, and they're like day-to-day -day life tasks and, and whatever, and things don't always go to planning your day and whatever, but when you're like locked up against your will and charged with that kind of thing and, and, and at heart guilty of it, you're swamped with a whole like set of emotions that is just really so overwhelming that you are in that much trouble. Like we've all, as you said, like made errors growing up, you get in trouble from your parents, you get in trouble from yeah. like your grandparents, you get put over by the cops, you get done for drunk driving or like, you know, peeing outside of a club or something when you're going, you know, you do all those kind of things and like, oh, I don't know, like you see the cop sirens and you're like, wow. Yeah. But like when, like, I mean, for me, it was like I was pulled over, I guess, on the side of the street. I had vans rock up by the side of me, like guns pointed at me, people in vests thrown on the road, like 
news wow. crews, cable tied, and you're sitting there thinking, like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And um, you don't realise, like, it's so shocking, but just, like, how much trouble you're in. And that first night when you're kind of, like, in a fish tank um, at a police station and it's, it's very lonely, you cannot sleep for the life of you, it's, it's just cold and harsh and you, you have nothing but to think the absolute worst of the situation. Mm-hmm. And then I guess everyone around you, like, there's a lot of scare tactics involved by police to kind of make you feel like you are in the worst situation. Um, I think there was, like, and it's funny how there's a bit of a good cop, bad cop thing. Like, it's actually a thing um, that one of the cops in that situation was kind of really play that game of kind of like, you know, you'll be okay and you'll be right. You'll be fine. Like, we're going to work this out. And I think the other guy was one of the ones that came in. The first thing he said to me was like, you are fucked. And it's just like, <laughs> what am I meant to think at the moment? Yeah. You know, so it's really quite mentally breaking. You yeah. know, like it does, it does really break you down mentally um, to be in that much trouble. Yeah, I can't imagine that good cop, bad cop thing. It Like it must actually, obviously it's come from somewhere. And, yeah. you know, you've got one person giving you a little bit of hope and then one person telling you that the future is over, really. Yeah, I mean, and that's... Um like, I think initially you're in that much shock and disbelief that you're actually in that setting. Like, mm-hmm. you're the guy that you've seen, like, on TV in that crime show that you watch. Yeah, fuck. And you're sitting there being like, is this actually my rule of life? Yeah. That's what's happened to me. Um, and then there's that kind of, like, first um, court appearance. Um, and that's, like, really quite a extraordinary feeling. Yeah. Feel. Um, cause I, it's, it's, it's just, the, it's the guilt of it. So it's obviously very emotional. It's the guilt of it. Um, but it's also sitting there in front of your loved ones, in front of peers, in front of people, just of the community. And like, it's kind of like at that point it is all eyes on you. It's all judgment. It's all kind of like, uh, there's a lot of pressure. Um, there's a lot of shock by everyone and you're not really quite sure how to feel and you're completely quite helpless and sad about everything and yeah. very exposed. Yeah. You can't be more exposed. Well, I mean, I have been at a later time than that. Yeah. But it's very exposing. Um, And then it's very, like, graphic that straight away after that first court appearance and, like, you're denied bail and you're read all these charges you don't have a clue about. Like, I don't know what any of these words mean. I don't know who these people are. I don't know where I'm going. I know nothing about jail. And you're refused bail. And, like, there's different to be, like, bail set at a certain amount. But I was refused bail. Like, there was nothing set. It was basically, like, you are going to jail. In remand. On, on to remand. Yeah. yeah. Remand custody. Um, and I think that's when it gets really serious really quick because there's, there's nothing that can stop you. I think a lot of the time when you're growing up as a kid and you kind of get into trouble, you think, like, oh, like, my parents can bail me out of this. Like, I'm... Mm. I'm going to be rescued by someone. Someone's going to come and save me. And then very quickly you realize, no, you're in the big scary place with a lot of scary people in just, there's no control anymore. Yeah. You do what you're told. You go where you're told to go. You shut up when you're told to shut up. You do everything that you're told to do no matter what. And you have no freedom and no say in anything anymore. You really have to fall into line. Yeah. I mean, it goes so far as saying like you're told when to shower, you're told when to sleep, you're told when to sit down, stand up, get dressed, get undressed, 
And like, for somebody who has a problem with authority, like I imagine most people would relate to that who have also been inside, I have no idea. But for somebody who has a problem with authority, like how did that affect you being in there? Um, oh, I guess and, how, like how didn't it affect me? Um, it's a completely like life-changing situation to be put into. Um, I guess for me, you kind of like, I, I, was, I was 21 arrested um i came out when i was 25 mm-hmm. or so 25 and a half i'd say a long time i mean yeah um and that's what i think i mean to spend the amount of time in jail that most people spend in high school yeah. um if you think about how much development you have in high school yeah well wow. and i did that in a place where you were designed pretty much to fail at everything wow yeah. when you put it that way yeah so it's um You've got to really, really fight hard to not have that be the result. Well, I think for people who have those developmental years in high school that aren't as smooth as others, like if you already feel like a bit of an outsider and you don't have the nuclear safe family, those years that you could be developing, you're developing on a different path. And then your next best opportunity, or I don't know, but your next most powerful time, I guess, is your adulthood and instead of getting ahead or choosing a trade or or finding your feet and coming right on your own like you were you spent four years inside a prison um which i think is is something that most people would never be able to fathom or or understand and I, i i really admire you for this because and i can't imagine what it was like in there and i'd love to know more but you want to help people like since the day that i met you you were helping me in COVID training and, and obviously in our work together, I got to learn that the reason that you're so passionate about coaching people is because you want to <sighs> coach youth for free. You want to work with young men. And I was like, what? Like, I didn't, I didn't know this about you. You know, I, from an outsider at the time, you were like big, strong Nick, powerlifting Nick. Mm-hmm. And there were people like borderline scary. I thought I'm going to go to him <laughs> for my squat PB and then I got to see this other side of you that's like very caring and compassionate and you've been through a lot. And obviously um, we have some common ground there in terms of uh, me losing my mom and I could open up to you and I never imagined that you would be that person or, or feel part of that role for me. And I, I can see how you do that now for clients. And I just wonder like what it was like in there and when you were, when in there, was it in there that you decided I'm going to change my life through health and fitness and change other people's lives. Like when did that come into the picture? Yeah. I mean, I guess it was actually quite a interesting situation, but I think after about three months of actually being in full-time jail, you're you're in quite a amount of disbelief that you're there and you kind of always feel like every day you're going to go home, like something miraculous is going to happen. There's going to be some crazy change in circumstances or something. And um, I remember a pretty definitive moment where I had a meeting with my lawyer where he basically had said to me like um get comfortable like this is not going to change we're working at plea bargains we're working at getting the brief of evidence which takes a long time um and i I remember being really quite visibly like upset in that meeting like i was in tears in that meeting because it just snatches the life away from me and you don't really know how long that's going to be for. I think the hardest part about any of it and while you're on remand is that you have no idea when this period of your life is going to end. Mm. Um, and 
it was pretty soon after that, like when I'd, I'd gone back in, um, into jail and kind of like had a couple of days to, to think about it all and, and kind of sat there and went, well, right, like this is like, this is life for now. Like this is, this is it, this is all there is. And you very quickly get to know after at least three months what goes on in there. Like you can get involved in all sorts of things like you can out here, you can get involved in bad behaviour, bad groups, gossip, um, bad people. It's like a whole other world. It's just like a whole, it's like, it's like a much more toxic world than what you'd already see out here in some wow. sense, in some settings. So it's just got the worst of those bunches. So if you could look at the, like the, the worst parts of where you are, the worst people that you know, and the worst environment and put them all in the same place. Yeah. then that's kind of what it's like. I always think of the movie Blow with Johnny Depp and he's like, I went in with a bachelor's in marijuana and I came out in with a graduate yeah. in cocaine. And, and like, that's very much the case where... Um, I think I've said this before in the session where like the, the statistics speaking when I was in, what I was told is that one in three men that go to jail at that time do return. Yeah, I've and heard even like, I remember when I was in legal studies a long time ago, I heard it was like 73% recidivism rate, yeah. you know? So to have you here on yeah. this couch, you are a minority, you know, like, and it's, yeah, it, it's such an inspiring story. And I just feel like for you, the values that you live your life by and the way that you achieve results with people. I, I feel like there's, there's gotta be some sort of synergy, right? Like you, 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 you present with this tough love approach, but you also have a lot of um, compassion and understanding. And I think that so does any of it sort of come from that, that time or. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like it was after that period where you kind of like, we'll get a snap back of like, this is life now. And like I had to choose very quickly what what to do and if I was going to either, like it really is, it really 110% is an environment that is sink or swim. It is all or nothing in a sense where it's like you only have um, as much mental fortitude as you create. You only have the, like the smallest amount of freedoms and choices in what you do and you can either do those in a right way or you can do those in a very wrong way. And I just knew like straight away and I don't know and I still would say this to my sister today that I don't know if it was like my mum's kind of like aura around me or something to do but something was told me in there that I was going to be okay if I just stuck to like my like my grounding kind of like what I live my life by what I knew I could do more of I love that that was really where it was at where I was like I know how to train I trained before I went to jail I grew up an overweight kid I was bullied a lot. I'd lost like some of the closest things to me. This place was no different. So I had to control those elements as best I could. So I would steer clear of the people that I knew were going to like try to put me in harm's way. I would train because it kind of gave me mental focus and engaged me that way. Uh, it would look after my health. It would look after my aggression and the sadness or the grief that I was dealing with mm -hmm. in there. Um, and it gave me some form of self-love in a place that is full of just absolute negativity. Yeah. And it's so crazy because like out here they say, you know, like you survive, you, you like surround yourself with like positivity and it will like kind of attract to you. And it's the same kind of in there to a degree where like if you're the guy that trains, you get up early, you stick to as much routine as you possibly can that's in your control. Then people that do kind of have that same little light inside them are kind of attracted to you in that sense. So you mm -hmm. do get guys in there that come and go, oh, bro, like, can you, like, what do you do? Like, you know, can you show me how you're doing this? Or like, what are you training today? Can I, I train that. with you? And you're like, 
Sure, like the last thing you want to do is make another enemy. You don't really ha- you're not really in a need to. Yeah. Like the last thing you want to do is like some guy wants to train on you. You don't know if he's in there for like murder or you know like drink driving. You're <laughs> yes, like, no, you fuck off, me. you can't train. But I'm like, yeah, sure, train away. <laughs> you know, like if you can keep up, go for it. You know, yeah. if you can outdo me, even better. Challenge. Yeah. You know? Wow. And um, it was in that, and then like you start to see some of these people in there, um, that they're really quite helpless, mm. and. That's where you, like, in a place like that, if you do things in a sense the right way, you can really become quite grateful in that setting because you're dealing with people, like, I went to school. I did my HSC. I know how to read. I know how to write. I know about the human body. I know how to train. I know how to create a routine. I know what to do sometimes when I'm bored. I know how to be social. Yeah. Right? You've got guys in there that have had it so different that they can't read or write. Yeah. Like, can you imagine now what it would be like if you could not read or write? Far out, no. And the disadvantages that would place in front of you. Yeah. Like, can you imagine now not knowing how to move your body and having no ability to train or exercise? No. Like, you feel, what do you do then? Yeah. That's the thing. What do you do then? Like, a lot of people say, why do these guys tend to crime? What do they do? Yeah. That's such an interesting way to think about it because I think a lot of people – depending on where you grow up or whatever, think, oh, like, they get what they deserve, they're criminals. But they weren't given the right or the ability to necessarily choose at a young age like we could. Like, I always say we won the lotto the day we were born just by being born in a a first-world country. I wasn't even. But, like, you know, we more or less, like, the families we live in, the worlds we live in, we have the freedom of choice. And there's people who may never hear this because they don't even have electricity. And I think when you are put in a a place – like jail, I would imagine it, it just amplifies and magnifies all of these diversities and differences and, and where you could be sitting there think, thinking, I'm so hard done by and my life is over. You were sitting there thinking, look how good I've got it. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. Like I, I'd see some people like not be able to like, like have you read them letters from their loved ones. Wow. Like how vulnerable. Like you don't know what these people are saying to their loved ones and yeah. you're reading it from because they can't read. Yeah. And, like, I'd do that for a couple of people. Like, I remember seeing people like this, teaching people, teach people how to play the guitar, teaching people how to read. And, like, sure, it's one thing to say, like, you know, like, they're a criminal and they deserve it. And, look, by all means, some people have done horrible things. And everyone, even I in my own right, like, had to be punished for the, the role I played. And you, you do have to accept that at some point to have real remorse. And that's, I think, something that you don't think about when I was doing what I was doing because – you don't see what you're doing is doing anybody any harm. But then when you go to jail, you see the layers to it. Yeah. You see the drug seller. You see the drug taker. You see the drug dependent. You see the family of the victims that are victims because of someone that is desperate for drugs. Mm. You see all the layers to how it affects the community and you go, shit, like I played a very big role in that, all for my own advantage. Wow. I've, you, oh, yeah, wow. And that's where you go, wow, that really does make me feel like shit. Yeah, but I do feel like shit about that, and that's I think you see people that have none of that just yet, and I always think it is a moment of time, whether it's your last day on this earth, or it's next year or the next day or whatever. It could be any moment of any time. We all have that inside us as human beings. There's a sense of humility where you have that. Some people might not notice until their last day when they go, "Shit, I really hurt people." Yeah, but I don't care if anyone doesn't recognize it or does or doesn't say it. Everybody, I think, has to feel that at some stage. You have to be, if you're human, you do. Yeah. We've all done something and then felt bad about it. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And I guess that's like, 
back to the original question, like when I worked out kind of what I wanted to to do and how I got involved in health and fitness was I guess it was really about people coming up to me and, and seeking help. Yeah. Like in the worst of worst places, people coming up to you and seeking help. Do they want to learn? And that like they come to you to teach. Like I was in a position where I had random strangers that were in a really vulnerable place full of testosterone and ego and negativity and they would ask you advice they'd ask you to read a letter they'd ask you if you could help them with this and like and to train and to train and i mean i i remember times when i had like groups like we had we would have like five or six guys doing like the same circuit and it brought you that same energy back now when you do a group circuit out here and you get that endorphin kick but you also just get to see the people around you killing it yeah and you're like fuck yeah like everyone's doing this really well and you just feel like you have given something back. So I could go about my day there yeah, almost like a coach and be like, you know, like it was, it was Friday and it was in jail and I had to push a button to take a shower and I had to do it in front of another man. I had to have a visit and I had to get naked and read and strip searched. And like, I, was, I saw some horrible shit, but at the end of the day, there was that little glimmer of like hope, hope, normality and, and help. Like, and it was a really like, compassionate place for me to be then and I remember when I eventually did get sentenced and went to like a young offender jail which is where every guy is under the age of 25 now that is a zoo like, <laughs> I can imagine you've got guys there that are like like honestly like so lost so lost yeah. and um you're put into groups and like you've got to kind of like you put into houses with other guys and that's where I really start to kind of connect with that younger group because I mean, I, I'd been through a lot. I'd lost a lot. I had a family outside that was deeply struggling while I was inside. Um, but I found I was still quite fortunate. Like, I had visits. I had people putting money into my account. Um, you know, like, I, like, it comes down to, I had fresh underwear. Mm. Like, I had a buyout. They give you that? No, so you can have people deposit it for you. You do get, like, a certain amount when you first go in, right? You get a little bit. But to be able to buy a TV, a kettle, um, a toothbrush a buy-up where you can get like commodities like cans of tuna rice wow you have to have people putting money into your account wow so the thing is is someone someone has to love you yeah right to do that yeah yeah um and um that was a real like homecoming for me i think before going to jail i used to be quite a negative kind of guy like I was very much like the world fucking hates me like you get like that when you lose a parent I guess when you're like you when you're that young it's kind of like the world hates me there's nothing here for me it's been like nothing everything's hard everything is not satisfying no one likes me and yeah. all the rest of it a victim and, um, a victim yeah and um like it, it's it sucks to feel that way but you go there and you know, very quickly you see that like how good you've got it yeah it's really empowering because i think we can all you know in hearing your story and and drawing areas of relatability obviously there's things that we will never know and people will never be able to relate to but there is also the the commonalities in terms of finding hope in helplessness and in feeling like a victim and then choosing and deciding on the spot not to be and all of a sudden you're not anymore like you went from being a victim to a hero essentially being a beacon of light for the people you were a beacon of hope for the people around you and 
And now you maintain that role with the relationships in your life by being a coach. And for me, you were a huge anchor and still are like when my life is chaotic, I love to come back to our two sessions and you still have that part of you. And so you said something earlier, like I had to decide what my values were essentially. And then you had to stay true to those and you're still true to those today. And and it got you out of a hard time, but I'm curious to know, like moving into more of how you, how you live now and how this business has served you. I, I know that when we first started working together, um, you, you didn't really post any social media content. You didn't want to make any videos. You, you didn't know how to put your personality out there. And I remember thinking, well, maybe he has no personality. Maybe he's just a big, strong dude. He's <laughs> like, I'm just big Nick. And like, and the personality came out really freaking quick. Like we laugh so much in our yeah. sessions and, and your values shine through. And at first they were shining through cause they were keeping me accountable. But then this personality I got to know and, and have all this fun with. And now I see it really coming through um, the, the content that you're putting out there. So how, how is, how does it feel for you now in terms of putting your personality out there and how, and what is, what is your sort of, um, your take on what you're doing now versus, you know, even 12 months ago, what's, what sort of changed for you again? Um, God, I guess like, I mean, like anyone, you'll stand in your own shadow as long as you let yourself really like, that's, that's basically it for me. Like, I think that going back and a lot part of like a lot of the, a lot of it has to do, I think with like a deep sense of shame in Mm -hmm. a sense, like you don't want to be who you are because you're so ashamed of what you've done and you don't want to highlight any part of you because you're just like. I, I highlight a part of me. It's like you go to have fun and then you're like drawn back to like, no, I can't have fun because I've been such a bad person. Yep. And I think that really does give you that kind of like, I mean, the first time I ever heard imposter syndrome was when it came out of your mouth to me. And I'm like, what the fuck is she on about? What is imposter syndrome? And then the more and more I kind of learned about it, I'm like, wow, I really do do that yeah. so much. Like I, would judge myself like I would make post after post and judge myself so harshly on what I was putting into it, what it like, what it meant to people, what it meant to me, like, and, and was I wrong in any element? And so much into it that I would just end up not posting anything. It would just do my head in, yeah, become this huge clusterfuck in my brain, and I would just go nuts. Nah. Clusterfuck. I think yeah. so many people, so many people can relate to that. You know, in in what we do, this imposter syndrome that stops people from posting and. I remember saying to you at the time, like, I can give you the website, I can give you the system, I can build whatever you want, but I can't sell you. Like, I can't show up on your camera with your head and talk about what you do. And and I, I felt like, you know, I believed in you so much and, and I was I valued your service so much. I felt like the world needed to see it. And it took, it took a while for it to come out. And that imposter syndrome, how did you overcome it? Um... How did I overcome that? There'd be a lot of coaches listening and a lot of people listening, whether or not their their past has tainted their um, picture of themselves as well. But overcoming imposter syndrome for you is something that you can visual, like evidently see the change. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think it's got a lot to do with like, and I've done a lot of therapy, a lot of work around it, but it's got a lot to do with looking at yourself in a different light, being proud of who you are and like what you have done. And like, I think in all honesty, a lot of it has to do with comparison. I think a lot of people compare themselves like almost on an unconscious level every day. Yeah. And it all compounds and builds up. And before you know it, you're like actually 
conscious of it too in some element and you're just like, I don't want to do any of this. Yep. Um, I can't do this. Like, I'm not, I'm not Mark Carroll. You yeah. Know, like, I'm not this, I'm not that. I can't do that myself. And um, you stop yourself. And I think, like, I had to go back and kind of look at, you know, to my past and to all the years after all of the, you know, the bad stuff had happened and really kind of go, like, look how much came out of that that was really, really fucking good. Yeah. And, like, I think it was, like, even some things that you would say to me, like, booked out face-to-face. I'm like, yeah, I've been booked out face-to-face for, like, the last six years straight. See? <laughs> you know, like, I've been booked out face-to-face the last six years straight. I have built a business in personal training from absolutely fucking nothing. Like, I borrowed the money to do my PT course. Yeah. I got a high interest rate loan because I was bankrupt at the time. And I got a loan. I paid for my PT course. I did it. And I, I think about, well, like, all of that stuff. And I go holy shit, I've come a fucking long way. Yes, you and have. Like, and then it's like, you know, you can always, you can stand in your way at that point and be like, well, I've come a long way. And the next thing that I do is going to make me as uncomfortable as some of those situations used to. Yeah. And I realized that as like, much as my business had kind of stalled in some process that I wasn't really growing anywhere. I was really choosing that. I was like, oh, I'm just booked out face to face. That's Okay. And I had to kind of go like, no, I've got to be uncomfortable again. I've got to get in front of the fucking camera and I've just got to be myself and yep. whoever likes me for it likes me and whoever doesn't, I don't give a shit. And how have you found that it's changed? Like how have you found that the, you know, obviously a lot of trainers have, I feel obsessed with education and educating the market and knees over toes and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, maybe that's what you start with if you're comfortable in that space. But now you have a lot of fun. Like I was looking at your reels the other day because we collaborated on the men should train glutes. And that did really well. It did like yeah. three times the average. And I was having a look at it. And then there was a few of those on your account yeah. that have all of a sudden, we call them like a unicorn, you know, that piece of content yeah, yeah, that's yeah. just gone wild. And I was like, okay, these must be good. I'll watch them. And they were funny. It was yeah. you and Blaze and the the pull up one. And how do, you, um, how do you notice that's affected your business, putting your personality into what you're doing? Um, I think the biggest thing would be to be relatable. Like you, you start to see things, like I would see things in my everyday environment as a trainer that would make me laugh or things that I'd say that would make other people laugh. And I'm like, yeah, people get that. Yeah. And it's real. Yeah. Like you can educate people and sure, part of the job is to educate people. And once they are a client, sure, you've got to educate them. You've got to train them. You've got to coach them. You've got to teach them things on how they can be a better version of themselves. But before that point, you've got to at least connect with them, yeah. connect with people. And I found that's how it's changed the most so far for me. It's connecting with people, it's connecting with my audience, which is, I believe something you also probably said to me yeah. <laughs> was connecting with my audience and that's been a big game changer. I think like social media wise now, like people see the personality that I am. And a lot of the time it has been that kind of like, oh, like big scary dude, oh, tough, strong. You know? And like, that can also be like a little bit of a dimmer because some people for that, they're like, oh, you know, like that guy's really intimidating. And I'm like, I am so not intimidating. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not me at all, but I can't help the way my face looks. Yeah. Um, or the stature that I have, I don't know what it is, but it's not me at all. Um, and I found like, you know what, I've just got to show people actually like, I think what everyone needs to do is show everyone like the person to a degree that you are at home. Yes. When no I one's agree. watching, 
who are you to your girlfriend? Who are you? What are yeah. the memes? And I say this to my clients as well. Like, what are the memes that you send your best friends? Like, okay, that might be a little, you might have to tone it down a little bit, but like for your clients, when they come on board, yes, you have to educate them to a degree, but you can maintain, like you've been booked out for six years because people like you. Like you don't have to continue to educate your um, long-term clients and you don't have to put as much cost into them. But to keep them, you have to relate to them. They have to like you and connect with you. And that is something that you do so well. Like we have such a such a laugh when we're training and we would, we've said it for like two years now. We've got to mic up our sessions. Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, these are thoughts like I'm pretty sure that most people have. Like what rep am I up to and all the rest? And I just think um, there's a lot of, a lot of um, comparison in the market, lots of fear of not being or feeling not good enough that stops trainers from actually presenting as who they are. And the problem with that is there's so many trainers in the market that you then all start to look the same. Yeah. And like, if the one thing I have seen is like, even with my content, it's like, the, if you look at the analytics, which is something that like I didn't do for ages that you really should do. Yes. Is like, and I look at the, the different kind of content that I put out there and the funny and relatable stuff that still has an educational value or the straight educational stuff is that it's it's such a different level of engagement. Yeah. You know, like, sure, you've got to have an educational value, but, like, you've got to do it in your own way. Yeah. I think there's too many people out there that are trying to do the exact same thing as someone else. And, like, you yes. see the trend. It's like, today we're going to talk about hip thrust and how you should have the bar set up with vertical shins and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, cool. Like, that's true, right? Mm -hmm. And enough people are getting to know that. But what's, what gets me to watch your video on how to do that rather than somebody exactly. else's? And that's about being relatable. Yeah, it's about really being likable. Like you, your clients have to like you. I think like there's so many, that's one thing that you taught me as well, like is that there's so many PTs out there. There's so many trainers out there all kind of selling the same product. Like the, the, the thing, like the training hasn't changed miraculously in the last 50 years like the same things that worked 50 years ago still to a degree work today yes so there's so many so many times you can skin the cat but what you can do differently is be yourself yeah and there's gonna be a certain part of the market that is actually gonna like you for that and that's your market like you gotta you've got to connect with those people and the ones that don't like you and don't connect with you like don't worry about that that's that's yes that's, they're gonna like somebody else yes. it's like the same person that likes me that wants to train with me um, it might completely not like another trainer and it might be vice versa. Like I'm nine times out of 10, a clown. I love to have fun. I love to have a laugh and also train hard. And for some people, my sense of humor might not be a hit and that's cool. It's totally yeah. fine. I think that's the biggest hurdle to get over. Yeah. Like so many times I think people just try to build a business on the fact that they're not, they're not actually being themselves. It becomes a fucking chore. Well, this is also like the issue right now. When you have a skill, if your product that you sell is education, that is so readily available. It's free and it's at our fingertips in seconds these days. So you can't sell education anymore. You can't sell even time in terms of, yes, you have a skill and you can stand there and count reps. Like anyone can do that too. So Really what you have to package is, is your personality. It is the reason why you're doing it. It is your passion. And it's knowing those values that have gotten you to where you are today and, and, and the personality that keeps your friends around and trying to put that into an offer Yeah, with a lot of heart. Yeah. I mean, I think compassion, relatability, um, and really wanting to genuinely help people. 
mm-hmm. is really where it's at if you want to run a successful PT business. I think a lot of it gets tied up into the how to run a business and, and how to sell something. And that's all part of it. But I think you've really got to have a good product that you actually can back. You know, yep. like you've really got to have a product that you can care about. Um, and you've got to have good service. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you've really got to have good service. And I feel like that gets that gets missed a lot as well. Yeah, especially when you're really busy. That's when you need automation to help you. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. And like, I think it's just with people. You've really got to be able to connect with your people that you are training. Um, and I think that's where it comes a lot, like back down to like my history is those learnings of being... Um, you know, when you, when you are feeling helpless, when you are feeling, you know, like mentally challenged, judged, um, and and all the rest of it, like you're really down in the dumps. Like I can find that in most of my clients and really strongly relate to it. Yeah. Wow. And I think that's where I can grasp a lot of that energy and go like, I get it. Like, I get it. I know, I know how that feels Mm -hmm. and I navigated my way out of it and my way might not be your way, but I can guarantee that there's something I say that you will connect to that you can then take the next step, whatever that is for you. Yeah. And as a client, I'll tell you that's true. And it's, it's so incredible to hear the, the story that, that is your life because I, I've said this before, but it's like, it's inmate from inmate to inspiration. And you're such a rock for me and a, and a guiding light for so many around you. And and that is now, I feel like you're at a point where you've really grown into this part of you and it's allowed you to have this space and this time to now think, what do I want to do next? And how can I continue to fulfill my goals and my passion? And what are your goals next? What, what, what is your passion with business? Um, overall growth. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think the, where, where it all started even in working with Big Appetite was like I was... I was being a great product. I was selling a great service. I was being a great trainer. I was showing up every day for people. But, um, you know, I had no idea how to scale that and how to reach more people. Like you are, in a sense, you are, in a sense, trapped to the the audience that is directly in front of you. And um, I, like, God, 12 months ago, I didn't know what a Google form was. Yeah. (laughs) How to write an email campaign. Um, And... I think that's the, the, the urge. What makes me hungry is because like I see the immediate audience that I have in front of me and I just want that to expand. Like I want to get in front of more people. I want to be able to help more people, not just the ones in front of me, but from wherever they're from, mm-hmm. you know, and um, learning how to do that has been a massive part of growth and also a massive boost in confidence to be able to build that into something like not knowing what a Google form was now to like writing offers and marketing campaigns and coming up with ideas and posting social media content having a social media manager yeah doing a photo shoot like doing all the things that i was told to do although i didn't do them all when i was told to do them you have to learn the hardware sometimes um but i really want to see that continue to blossom like i really want to see that blossom um and beyond that i really want to be able to reach um young men you know, like I really want to be able to connect with, I guess, like the lost boys that I saw in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and really as much as I possibly can, like with my whole heart and soul, stop them from making the decisions that I made. Because I walked that really hard road. And if you don't have to do it, like by, like, don't do it. Like, yeah. you know, they, say, they don't regret anything. And I wouldn't say, you know, that I regret um, 
parts of that. Like it did show me huge things in my life. Like I don't think I would be where I am now if I didn't yeah. go through all of that. But at the same time, you know, if I could if I could show people how to steer themselves in a different direction um, and keep them off that path, then that would be the most, like the most that I could give back. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, for anybody listening to this, if you know somebody who needs – a little guiding light, somebody who may be on a crooked path that needs a bit of a ruler, send them this episode, um, reach out, share this with them. And Nick, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram, um, you can find me on TikTok, um, Facebook. What are your handles? What are my handles? <laughs> so you always forget something. You're always Not my learning. first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oki Strength Coaching. That's the one. Yeah, that's my handle. Oki Strength Coaching. Um, or Nick Oki on Facebook. Via um, my Instagram every second day or so. Via <laughs> yeah, that. Um, on my website, okistrengthcoaching.com. Um, get in touch. Yeah. Call. Um, and we can, yeah, we can speak. This one was a deep one. If you loved it, please do let us know. Leave a review. Reach out to Nick. Reach out to me. Share it if you listen to it and if, if it blew your mind, it certainly did. Thank you so much for sharing, Nick. No, thank what an, you. What an honour. What a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.